0: Hey there, and welcome to the Classical Liberal Project. My name is Danielle. I'm here with Joshua Ecole. And, what's
1: uh <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> Thanks for having me, Danielle.
0: Yeah, and uh, David Wiley here. Hello. And uh, no Jonathan Casey today, so you're carrying the show, I guess, David.
2: Oh. <laughs> We're on our own. A want to wait on my shoulders then. Hmm.
1: So, from what I understand, David, um, the background uh, for for the audience' sake, the, why you joined us is because of your uh, your race. I think you just got off of a race for state rep. Is that right, in Washington?
2: Yeah, my uh, second race for state rep. Um, I ran in 2020, um, had actually one of the best results in the state, getting 33% of the vote in the general election, and ran again in 22, uh, getting about three and a half percent of the vote this second time around, unfortunately. Um, But it was a very different race. I certainly learned a lot between running twice. Um, Yeah, and I have no regrets whatsoever.
1: 33% is a pretty significant number. I mean, hell, 3% is a significant number in some cases too, David, so don't undersell it.
0: Um, (laughs) Was it the same position both times?
2: Yes, same position, same district. Um, after, you know, getting 33% as a third party candidate, uh, if you do that well, first time around, you should give it another shot in my opinion. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, um, Joshua, I don't know how it works in your state, but in Washington, we have the top two runoff. Um, and that's how your, both of yours went, right, David, you had the top yep. two runoff. Uh, now the first one, uh, you were in that for the top two. Did you make it past the, to the final? Automatically. ballot?
2: Okay, because there were only two of you that time. It was me versus a 16 year incumbent um, that Republicans no longer even really tried to run against. Um, And so, seeing as I didn't think they should go unopposed, I gave voters another choice. I definitely got a huge bump up from that. Yeah. Um, One of the things I definitely learned both races is that a lot of voters aren't so much voting for someone as voting against someone um voting against the political brand they hate the most
1: so david um, maybe cuz i'm from so i'm from tennessee where we we don't our system it sounds like it's very different can you tell us a little bit more about the top 2 system is that a uh, is that a system where uh you're going to a general race whoever makes it through the primary and the respective parties if there are more than two candidates then you immediately hold another race how does that work the dynamic no
2: so um most states have a partisan primary where each party gets to pick their person and goes into it in Washington state we have a open primary everyone's in there anyone can claim any party affiliation they want and then whoever gets the top two candidates who get the highest percentage of votes move on to the general election. And then in the general election, you have to have, with only two candidates, more than 50% of the vote. Okay, got it, got it.
1: So could theoretically, and just pardon my ignorance, theoretically then in that case, you say it's an open primary, so that means that it's the top two of the two respective parties that get the top vote total, or could it be like two Republicans on the ballot?
2: It can be two Republicans. We had some years ago a Libertarian breakthrough in which there was something like four Democrats and three Republicans and <laughs> enough, uh, a few independents and enough vote splitters that, you know, Libertarian was second place and did pretty well uh, for a U.S. House seat. Interesting.
1: Danielle, I feel like you were going to ask a question. I cut you off.
0: Uh, yeah, you're, so but your second race, how many people were in that second race then? It was three of, a, three of you? Four. Four of you. Okay. And so the 3% was just kind of the people that didn't already choose the Republican and the Democrat.
2: Yeah. And there was an independent in the race as well. Um, so I got like half a percentage more than, than them. Um, but really, I think what did it in is that, you know, I just didn't motivate enough people to vote in the primary. Right. So the Democrats and the Republicans, they have their usual people, and there weren't enough people looking to vote in the primary, something I knew would be a challenge, something I tried to work on with doorbelling and um, just wasn't able to overcome.
0: Yeah, and that's the hard thing about the the top two runoff is you have to invest a lot of money early on and then maybe you don't even keep it on till November. It's so irritating because you could be ramping up fundraising through November, but it feels like you have to do the whole bulk like a year in advance. It's kind of crazy.
2: Yeah, you got to do all your fundraising for that primary and don't hold back. You know, there's no point in it because, you know, you may not make it through.
1: Gotcha. So I'm curious then, is there a path if you don't make it to the top two to get on the ballot in the general election of November at all? Is it a write-in? or no. how to-
0: You can't be uh, written in, right?
2: I, well, technically you can write in whatever you want, but any votes for someone who's eliminated during the primary will not be counted wow have to write it. that's very unique i did not know that learning something new about washington then
1: very very interesting yeah. so i'm curious danielle and and um you know feel free to jump in if you've got a couple questions here but the one thing that i was going to start us off with or at least asking david was his origin story uh kind of a two-part question would be so what brought you to the lp and then what <laughs> inspired you to run to become you know, to run for office? Because that's something that the LP needs desperately. more people to step up and run. Like, what was your
2: pathway to to do that? Um, In many ways, I've kind of, I've always had libertarian values, right? It's something that um, my dad was kind of a a libertarian Republican. And, you know, I was always disgusted by the Republican Party, but, you know, didn't trust the government, didn't trust the media. um, And really, in college, got the completely wrong impression of the libertarian party. So did not pay attention to libertarians on the ballot at all until um, 2011 with Gary Johnson running. Right. That was when I I really noticed I I had listened to Ron Paul, but I associated Ron Paul with Republicans like, okay, no, no, I am. I'm not a Republican. I'm not over there. Uh, Not a Democrat either. But, you know, Gary Johnson actually got out there and, into the media a bit somehow and broke through into, you know, my political awareness, like, Oh, Hey, here's somebody saying the things that support my values. Don't hurt people. Don't take their stuff, you know, and he's got that as a political party. I need to, to give these people, you know, maybe they're not what I thought they were and I need to give them another look. And I did. And I joined
1: 10 years. Well, what 12, 13 years ago now. Right or yeah. Uh, 12, 12 years. years
2: yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay,
1: so you, that there's a big pathway, there's a big bridge there from saying I'm going to vote for somebody and then saying no. I want to represent the banner and like carry that on. So what was the reason why you you decided to run in 20 Oh, is it, what was 2020 the first time you ran? Yes. Okay. So what what was it in 2020 that kind of made you say, "Hey, I need to do this?"
2: Um unfortunately, kind of in the late teens, I got in a bunch of legal issues and got to see government way up close and more personal than anybody ever wants to. And I got to see so many of the lies of how we're told it works and what they really do and decided, you know what, um, I know this system pretty well now, unfortunately. I know little things that can be done to challenge it and fix it. And I'm going to do that. And I do believe that even as a libertarian who didn't win, um i've got a lot of successes that i count from my campaign um so yeah that's definitely something that was a big part of why i decided to run in 2020 it's like i'm a libertarian it's a long shot if i'm doing good i'll get 12 percent, you know and then surprise myself hey i got 33 percent. you know it's not winning but that's great and it changed the conversation um unfortunately in uh 2016 again in 2018 i had times where i w- was homeless so i got to see the housing market really up close and i talked to a lot of people about it you know because i i knew some people like hey can we do this can we do this and I'm like no can't do that like oh hey if i get an R- rv is there a place i can put it no that's not legal you know and there's so many there's so many people out there who want to do something about the issue of housing and homelessness and they can't because government tells them they can't help. Right, Yeah, and that's the biggest thing. And then government comes in and says, oh, you know what, you can't help, but we're gonna tax you to take money to do a little bit of what you wanted to do without taxing people.
1: Interesting. So when you ran both in 2020, oh, and again, Danielle, <laughs> I'll let you take the next question because I feel like I've asked the last three. I was going to say, when you ran in 2020 and 2022, um, what were your major platform and issues? What were the things that you talked about that you focused
2: on? Um, so in 2022, I tried to keep the same issues. Uh, the first one uh, being justice reform. That was personal to me. And actually in 2020, setting that way in advance as one of my platform issues uh, was a big advantage because of the whole Black Lives Matter thing that was happening in 2020 and being able to talk to that. Um, My second issue was tax reform, right? Um, And not really going maybe full tilt libertarian, but trying to push and tell people, hey, look, the way we tax matters. Different taxes have different effects on the economy and people's lives. Uh, And the third one was uh, the housing issue, which uh, really resonated with a lot of people in this area. Um, Because for those of you out in Tennessee and other parts of the country may not know, but the West Coast has a horrible housing issue with lots of homelessness. I think California has something of like half of all the homeless in the country Um, and Oregon and Washington are not much better. Sure,
1: makes sense. Danielle, I'll let you take the next one. <laughs> yeah,
0: <clears throat> No, uh, so we were talking ahead of time about how there was a, a debate for some uh, hopeful presidential candidates and none of us had watched it well enough to talk about it. But I, I'm interested to know kind of what you're looking at in a, a, a potential candidate for some a position that large. What are you as someone with experience running for office looking for? Uh,
2: that's a really good thing. And something um, I really don't think I hear this enough from libertarian presidential candidates but this is always key as we know getting any libertarian into the presidential office is the longest of long shots especially when we're not winning you know offices in dc so what we really need to see from a presidential candidate is down ballot support you know while that person is less likely to win the presidency the person who's running for the presidential ticket gets media attention, and can be a lot of help to those who are running state races, right, to get people into state legislatures, to get people into, you know, maybe the House of Representatives. So I would really like to see from our candidates to talk to that, what kind of down ballot support, other than just your name on the ballot, are you going to offer to other libertarian candidates and affiliates?
0: Is there specific support that you as a candidate would like to see from a, a pre- presidential hopeful in a future campaign for yourself, maybe?
2: Um, for Well, first of all, right now, I have no plans on running again at the moment. Um, but for others, you know, yeah, I really want to see um, talking more about principles, right? Telling people what a libertarian is, what those principles are that we stand for, Um going and appearing with local candidates, giving them a boost as they're doing their tour around the country. Get those people to share that media attention with you. You know, even just five minutes. We're, as Libertarian candidates, are not going to normally get much attention from the press. We have to fight for it every bit we can get um, to make people think of us and see us as candidates. And having someone on, you know, the presidential ticket really helps elevate it a lot.
1: One of the things that I really liked about Joe's 2020 campaign is that when she did do <clears throat> the tour, she almost always tried to feature local libertarian voices there because the rally stops, I mean, she did that pretty much across the country. I don't think she hit every state, she hit a lot. And that was something I think yeah. she, was a great model for sure.
2: I got to speak for her actually in 2020 well, there in you go. Seattle, <laughs> which unfortunately was a bit of a ways from my home district. Um, yeah. you know, which is quite a bit north of Seattle, but yeah, you know, that is one of the great things that Joe Jorgensen definitely did. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, so when you were running, uh, what were some of your, both in 2020 and 2022, what were some of the biggest challenges that you, you faced as a candidate?
2: Oh, uh, first of all, correctly identifying your challenges in advance, which is just about nearly impossible. Uh, in 2020, it was COVID lockdown. um, And I had the misconception that a lot of candidates did. So I don't know if this hurt me so much as it didn't help me. But my misconception was, oh, I can go out on on the internet and win people over. It's going to be a year for the internet. It wasn't. People didn't change their habits. You still needed to meet people. And one of the best successes I had was going and attending Black Lives Matter protests where I got to talk to people individually who were out there protesting and telling them about, hey, yes, you know what? Libertarians have always been for justice reform. We've been here 50 years calling for this. you know." And a lot of people, I even had a lot of lifelong Democrats who said, you know what? You're talking about this. My people are avoiding the issue. I'm voting for you, right?
0: And they did. They're 30%. And they did.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that's, I realized, you know, kind of a bit late that that's what it really would have took in 2020. In 2022, I adjusted, I wanted for, went for an aggressive doorbelling campaign, but it was a very different environment. And while I don't think that was wrong, um, it was really hard in, in the four way contest to really uh, get people to buy the libertarian brand. Because it was kind of the self perpetuating failure, not enough other people are going to vote for you. So, even though I like you, I'm going to vote for the loser who I think has a shot.
1: Lesser, <laughs> two evils, well, lesser, four evils, right? Or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, three, so- just three. Oh, three. One wasn't evil. Oh, okay. That's right. That's right. <laughs> the lesser of three. So what was actually, I'm, so I'm just curious, because again, somebody who's ignorant to the way that the election system works in Washington. So you say top two, but there were four
2: candidates. How did that happen? What's the dynamic? So anybody can run, right? Anybody can put their name in, you know, you pay the fee, so on, you're in. But the people, the two candidates who get the most votes advance onto the November ballot. Okay. And when's
0: the primary? Like March.
2: So you were talking about the dynamic in the primary, is what you're referring to. So you know the ballots go out to people in July and then ends okay. in early August.
0: Oh, so, I thought it was earlier than that.
2: Yeah, well, you know, some about a third of voters are making their vote as soon as they get their ballot. So you've got to. Oh be yeah. Talk yeah. to people before July. <laughs> And have them convinced that you're the guy. So that's okay. I see. Then, so the four way race, well, you're you're talking about the
1: primary before you even got to the, the thing. Yep. I gotcha. Okay. That makes more more sense. So um, I'm curious. One of the things that dynamics that uh, like libertarians deal with is they're always. <laughs> sure this is this is not unique to any one state. It's just unique to being a third party. Is you're dealing with like more limited resources than say your Republican or Democratic rivals, mm-hmm. and you obviously have to do some make some strategic decisions make some, you know, kind of, you're dealing with a lot, a lot less to work with. So how did you overcome that? I and mean, at least in 2020, when you, when you got that, that amount of vote, like, how did you approach building coalitions? How did you approach, you know, like having less name recognition where there, was there anything you
2: did to try to overcome that? So in 2020 I had no vault, vol- <clears throat> no volunteers for my campaign. I had a few hundred dollars in donations and, um, Yeah, so it was largely me. And in many ways, other than, you know, when I was attending events, I was largely a paper candidate. In 2022, I had a team of volunteers. I had a budget of thousands of dollars to spend on advertising and things. So it was completely different. And I actually got the worst results in 2022. Um, And what I take away from that is it doesn't matter as significantly as people think it does. And what I've learned about a lot of this money pouring into the race is it's actually political money laundering. So um, there's, yeah, you're smiling because you're not surprised. <laughs> um, so what Democrats and Republicans do, they have someone in what's a safe district. Like this one, my district is a safe district for Democrats. They normally win it with 70% of the vote. But they pretend that, you know, well, we, you really got to donate here. And what they get is there is unlimited donations from candidates to their political party. So they can raise $100,000, they have some pizza parties, they have some fun, and then they're cutting a check to the party for $90,000 or whatever. The party also tends to kick in a lot of money to candidates. So that's the thing, they can take that money that they've gained for a candidate in my district, in Everett, who might be really popular, Someone's donated to that, and they've taken your money and given it to a Democrat candidate that they may not like in a challenging district. That's the way it really works.
1: That sounds extremely familiar not unique to Washington, but (laughs) I get your point.
2: By the way, I I also, at the end of my campaign, took all my campaign money and donated it to the Libertarian Party. So we can also play that game. (laughs)
0: Here, I was thinking you were gonna like hire me for $100,000 a year consulting position for your next campaign. I wanted that kind of money laundering.
2: Yeah, first, I'd have to raise that much money.
0: <laughs> we'll get you there.
1: I've got another question, but Daniel, I'll let you take it. I don't want to.
0: Um, I really just wanted to ask about, um, the messaging, just kind of how you, how you chose to message, uh, to both sides. Obviously you sort of had to. Um, and then just how, how that worked you know, in person, how those conversations worked, and then maybe how social
2: media was a little bit different. Um, so I tried to push social media pretty big in 2020 and reached maybe a handful of people. Um, you really aren't convincing people to vote for you there. You may run into people. You may have some great conversations with someone in another state or another district in your state, so on. But you've got to reach voters, and voters mostly aren't out there on Twitter trying to find someone to talk to to seek out how to vote. You know, your web page matters a lot, but your social media doesn't. Not that social media isn't important, but social media for the party is far more important than candidate social media. Uh, Just don't say anything really embarrassing or bad. That'll turn off a lot of voters on social media. It doesn't that, matter all that That's much.
1: asking a lot right now, David.
2: <laughs> it is. It, there's social media can hurt you a lot more than it can ever help you. Absolutely. As a candidate. Absolutely. Um, so can your party's social media. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, that's actually a good pivot though. Uh,
1: yeah. Danielle, if you don't mind. Uh, so one of the next questions that I was going to ask was basically how you feel like, um, uh, the party, the, not only state party, but the national party kind of helped you in your campaign. Do you have any examples of the support they helped you, they provided you, or maybe the lack of support that they might've provided you and any feedback for if somebody here from the LNC and trying to think, how can we do better at improving our candidate support? What would you say to them?
2: The only candidate support I ever saw offered from the national party uh, was candidate training, which, you know, I'm not, the candidate training was actually good. And I wish I had in 2020 had done, partially that's my fault because I only became a candidate literally on the last day of filing or I decided why not. (laughs) Um, But yeah, candidate training was really it and the candidate training was good. Uh, By 2022, since I was on my second race, I really knew a lot of it. Um, But for someone who was running the first time, I would have, it was like, wow, I really wish someone had been there to tell me all this stuff the first time I ran. And maybe they were, but I was not really in tune with it when I decided to run at the last minute. Here in Washington, because people are voting in July and you're signing up to run in May, <laughs> you've really got to hit the camp that campaign trail running. So there's not time to be taking classes and going out on the internet and figuring it out you've got to be out there talking to people immediately.
1: Interesting dynamic. Makes sense. So what do you think, uh, based on your experience, you said you did a lot of door knocking, talking to voters, right? Which I think is, for the most part, the right strategy. Uh, You know, Even if that may have been a different equation for you, I've seen it play out, at least at the local level, Mm -hmm. when I was state chair of the Libertarian Party of Tennessee. I mean, our candidates that actually hit the pavement, right? talked to voters and actually found, knew their district were the ones that won. Um, and the ones that did, were, were unable to do that were the ones that, that performed poorly. The, the question that I have is when you were talking to people, vote potential voters about libertarian philosophy, the party and just the ideas that we have generally speaking, what do you think you heard? What were like the biggest misconceptions you heard what were the positive things you heard? Like what stuck out to you that does anything, do you have any stories or anecdotes about like how people related to the ideas that we have on the voter level?
2: Uh, As for misconceptions, people think that libertarians really this corporate party is like, well, there's not any corporation that's even interested in cutting me a check. They're all cutting checks to the duopoly parties. I hear that a lot. I get that. <laughs> and that, Oh, you're just selfish. Like I'm not out here fighting for everyone else's rights because it's just about me. <laughs> right. I can, I can just do my own thing. I'm a libertarian because I care about everyone's rights. Right. So those are the big two misconceptions. Um, as for what I thought really helped people is telling them that you care, right. Telling them, Hey, you know, Uh, You know, I care about housing because I think the free market can provide housing for everyone and tax you less while doing it, right? Um, You know, I care uh, about justice reform because none of us want murderers running loose and that the government should be going at the role of government. Let me use one of my taglines. The role of government is to protect us from each other not to tell us how to live, right? So that was something, you know, that really resonated with people a lot. Even though a lot of them themselves often wanna be the ones telling other people how to live, nobody wants the government telling them how to live.
0: I was hoping I had one with a quote on it, but I just have a bag. I think that's from your first <laughs> campaign. <laughs>
2: oh, that's awesome. That That's from my first campaign. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, I have, I think, I know we have like five, 10 more minutes before we wrap. I have a couple questions, but Daniel, I don't know if you do. I'm, I'm
0: I had one, one and then I forgot it. I got distracted <laughs> okay. by the quote. <laughs> I'll,
1: I'll fill in and then you can pick up after where I left off. So, um, you know, one of the things that I wonder uh, if you could add some insight. So you've done this twice. Mm-hmm. You've, you've pounded the pavement. You've been on the ballot. You've gone through all the trials and tribulations, as they call it. What advice would you give uh, somebody else who's running for office, um, or a potential libertarian candidate who's thinking about running for office, like what advice would you give them best practices, feedback,
2: how to handle it? Uh, best practices. Well, uh, that would really be kind of a long conversation because there's so much bad advice I would want to steer them away from first. Um, but first and most important is that even just as a paper candidate, you can make a difference. Uh, Democrats in my state were not talking about the housing issue until a Libertarian ran and got 33% of the vote against one of their long-term incumbents, right? So I may not have gotten in there to write any bills about it, but I made them start talking about and caring about the issue. So in that regard, there's already been a positive change in this state. 2022, when I ran, not just my opponent was talking about housing, Every Democrat was now talking about housing and making it a part of their platform in in my district. So, yeah, they got that message that they can't just ignore that. Um, So, yeah, even you don't have to win to make a positive change for liberty. So start there. When you run, decide what you run for a race that you will do if you win, right? Go for it, but also run a race where if you lose, you have gotten hopefully some of the change that you want to see. And, and that's actually a,
0: that's a, a thing in Washington that's super helpful for paper candidates because you can win just by getting your message out because they send a voter pamphlet to everyone's house. So they're going to read about you whether they want to or not. Well. As long as they peruse the booklet. At least. That
2: read the pamphlet, which is a yeah. minority.
0: <laughs> yeah. But it's free advertising there. So even as a that's paper true. candidate, it's still valuable. Yeah. So. that That's unique. So that actually win. is
1: unique. I kind of wish Nash or Tennessee had something equivalent to that. Um,
0: yeah. I wish we could figure out how many members we get just from that. I'm sure it's not a ton.
1: but Well, I mean, you got to realize metric. So being on the ballot and having recognition is a huge opportunity, a huge step in Tennessee uh, if you want to run as a Republican or Democrat, you only need 25 signatures. If you want to run as a libertarian, you need 39,000. So it's uh, wow. very much, uh, let's say the GOP has locked control of the state and they refuse to open the ballot and uh, they don't want to be competed with whatsoever and they do everything possible to avoid it. So that's a that's a good option. You at least have that going for you. It might stink, yeah. but some yeah. states are worse. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah,
2: Think of it this way. You know, the number of people who are activists and signing up for the libertarian party our extreme minority of the people who are identifying as libertarian. And in 2020, I got over 20,000 people to vote L. That's great. Right. So at some level they have identified with libertarian. Yeah. Uh, you know, just there, so at That's some amazing. level, maybe as their second choice, you know, maybe as you know, their first, who knows? That's phenomenal. Um, yeah.
1: Danielle, do you have any questions in the last couple minutes? I have one more question. I was going to, uh, no,
0: I'll, let, I'll let you finish it out and then okay. I'll, uh, wrap this up.
1: Okay, great. So, um, candidate recruitment is, uh, if not the biggest challenge, one of the biggest challenges that the LP has. And, uh, a lot of it ties back to the things, the trends that, that, the things that we've touched on in this, this, this meeting, which is things like some of our, uh, let's say, Poor brand, poor brand opinion, like um, the, the lack of brand awareness and then the negative brand perception when people say no about us, it's typically it tends to lean a little negative. So what do you think the LP can do better at the national level or at the state level to recruit better candidates, overcome that negative brand awareness, and just kind of grow and continue to move uh, in an upward, uh,
2: upward trajectory in the coming years? Have a more professional brand, Right. As the party that champions the free market, we should look like it a lot more. Um, Our marketing is horrible. Our branding is horrible. Um, We're not really putting out there things positive that people want to buy. Our messaging is often negative. Yeah, okay, Republicans and Democrats, they are awful. D.C. is awful. Everybody knows that. But they're not looking to hear how awful it is. They want to hear how we can be positive, the things we can do for them to make it better. And that's the thing. When I go and I talk to people about my race to get them to vote for me, I tell them, hey, look, if you vote for me, this is what I can do for you in Olympia, right? And that's what, on one level or another, the Libertarian Party needs to always be telling people, hey, this is what we can do for you as a political party. And not be so negative, not be, you know... So edgy and controversial, it might get you in the news, but only in a negative way that people don't really want. People don't want the Debbie Downer at the party; they want the fun person. Be the fun Libertarians.
1: You said something earlier that I think is is um, is very impactful. That you know something that I've said when I ran for chair, and I've heard it repeated, is that. The Libertarian National Committee can almost do more, uh, you know, can cause a lot more harm than it can cause help. Um, and its brand, and the way that it interacts with its candidates, the way it talks about itself, you could do 10 times more harm than you could do help. And so that's very impactful coming from you, David. And I just want to say thank you for stepping up to run and everything you've done to promote liberty in Washington. It means a lot, man.
0: <clears throat> yeah. And I'll be here next time you run. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs>
1: I might be too. I want to make a trip out to the Pacific Northwest. I know you guys are a little bit farther away from that, from the, the coast, right? But um, no, we're like-
0: Seattle. We're, we can see oh, the ocean. Yeah.
1: Okay. I thought David, you said you were farther east from that. He's north. He's oh, okay. Gotcha. Okay. But you are still on the. You are still on the coast. You get the yep. whole Pacific Northwest vibe. Okay, like it. Well, then yeah. we have to if
2: it. if you fly, I'm next to Boeing. So odds yeah. are, you know, you're <laughs> you're going Boeing. No noted
1: yeah awesome
0: um now uh obviously this is the classical liberal project we're here uh to talk about classical liberal things so if you want to join us uh you can join come to our website i wanted to use this banner i'm really excited <laughs> lpclc.org join um is there any where do you want people to connect with you anywhere david you got a, a twitter you want people to follow or anything like that
2: Oh no, <laughs> um, no, uh, connect with the CLC. We've got a great discord. We have great discussions going in there about all kinds of topics. Um, Very respectful, I, love, too. I love chatting with the community. I love being challenged by the community. Um, I love that you know we disagree on issues in a friendly way. Um, so yeah. Uh, Join in if you want to be, uh you know, a friendly, positive change. Join the CLC.
1: Well said, David. Yeah, the, well the said, Discord is—they very rarely get negative in there. It's almost always positive, even if there's a bunch of disagreement. Everyone's still like really uplifting. So, like, and then we
0: all apologize if we hurt each other's feelings. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: the way it should be. We're all on the same mm-hmm. team. Sometimes we yeah.
2: forget that. I'm sorry, Danielle, but you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry about
0: that. Oh, that's
1: funny. Well, thanks for having me, uh, Danielle, and thanks for coming, David. It means a lot. Yeah, thanks, guys. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.